0: I'm going to now direct you to the back middle portion of your worship guide, where you'll find the scriptures that our sermon is based on. Uh, this fall, we are doing a, a four-part series uh, that just asks the question, uh, what are we doing here? Uh, what, are, what are we doing here at Christ Church? When we uh, come to church on Sunday, uh, when we gather together, when we do church stuff, what's going on? I can, I can read. I'll read. I'll read. It's okay. Brittany's our our designated reader today. It might prove to be difficult, but that's okay. Um, uh, So that's what we're asking in the series coming up. What are we doing when we gather? Our normal diet, when we gather together, we love children here. We love children. We bless the children. Um, We normally just go through a, a book of the Bible section by section, just kind of going down. But this week, as you can see by the variety of scriptures that we have, is that we're looking at different themes. We're bouncing around in the Bible more than we normally do. Like I said, we're calling this four-part series, What Are We Doing When We dot, dot dot. Last week we tried to answer the question, What are we doing when we worship? This week we're asking, What are we doing when we gather? So I'll turn your attention to the back middle portion and I'll read to you um, our, our passages. The first is from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. For through him that is through Christ. We both have access in one spirit to the Father, so, that, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, joined together, grows into a t- holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In chapter 5 of that same letter, verses 1 through 4, Paul writes, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead... Let there be thanksgiving. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9-10, through 10, Peter writes, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He goes on in chapter 4 of his letter. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us again. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. We pray that we would hear uh, with uh, ears and eyes of faith. Lord, so bless your people now as we sit under your teaching. We ask that in Christ's name. Amen. If you've been around Christchurch long enough, you know that we like to hang out a whole bunch. We like to gather a lot. Sunday mornings, of course, we have worship. It's God himself inviting his people to come to him. We respond faithfully to that invitation, and then we feast together on his word at his table together. Starting this coming Tuesday and Wednesday, I hope you're all signed up for our home groups. We're restarting our home groups where weekly we gather together in each other's homes to study the Bible, to pray for each other, to care for each other, to grow with each other. A bunch of people from our church, not me, gather together regularly to play soccer. (laughs) Uh, On Slack, uh, we often see people arranging hikes and hangouts. In the fall, we're restarting something called Second Saturdays, where every the second Saturday of every month, we do something all together. Lots of people through the week, they share meals in each other's homes, they go out, they have a meal, they just kind of hang out. And this is wonderful, this is glorious. I love this element of our church. We like to be together. We like to do Christian stuff together. But what are we doing when we gather? What's actually happening? Why do we as a church... From the very beginning of our inception, why do we encourage and plan and promote and put money and time and energy into gathering together uh, outside of Sunday morning worship? Well, this is why. We gather together to be and to become a community of Jesus' disciples. So the reason why we gather together so often isn't simply for entertainment purposes, not to just pass the time by, not to just be social, to try to network for our essential oil business. We gather together to be and to become a community of Jesus' disciples. So what's happening when we gather or what ought to be happening? We're to be and to become the community of Jesus' disciples. When you read the Bible, here's something is important for you to keep your eye open for. It's to spot the difference between indicatives and imperatives. We're going to have to do a grammar lesson right now. I apologize to you if you don't want to do this, but we're going to have to, okay? Indicatives are statements of facts. They just tell the way that things are. They tell us who we are. When I say we're here at church, I'm making an indicative statement. Imperatives, though, are commands. They tell us not what is, but what should be. What we're commanded to do or what we're commanded or called to become. When I say come to church, I'm urging obedience. I'm making an imperative statement. Indicatives tell you what has been done for you or who you are. Imperatives tell you what you, what you must do or who you are to become. In the passages we read from, uh, Paul, who's writing to uh, uh, the Ephesian church, kind of in modern-day Turkey, and Peter, who writes to a bunch of different provinces spread throughout the ancient Roman world, um, They're writing to gatherings of Christians, reading these letters, and perhaps these gathered Christians are asking a similar question that that we're asking this morning. What are we doing when we gather? Uh, What should be going on? And in their letters, both Paul and Peter make this very typical biblical move from first making indicative statements to tell these gathered Christians who they are and then making a series of imperative statements based on those indicative statements to tell them who they should become what they must do. So in Ephesians chapter 2, if you look at the text, in verses 18 through 22, Paul first indicates the reality of the gathering in Ephesus. He tells them what has been done for them in Christ. In Christ, he says, you are no longer strangers and aliens from each other. You are members together in the household of God. You're in God's family now. You are brothers and sisters. Congratulations. And he says, you are being joined together by God, and being built into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, that God himself dwells with us in and through the church. What Paul is teaching is simply, it's the good news of Jesus Christ, that in the face of your sin and your shame, Jesus didn't reject you or turn away from you, but he gave himself body and blood to be a sacrifice for your sins, so that through his death, our sin could be put to death, and that we could come back to God. Not only so our relationship with God could be restored, but also our relationship with each other. Christ has come to make us clean and pure, to restore broken relationships between man and God and man and man. Note what Paul doesn't say in this this beginning chapter of chapter 2. He doesn't tell the gathered Christians, you must make yourself clean, and then you can be restored to God. He doesn't say, you must together try to gain access to God the Father. No, he says, in Christ, you have access to the Father. He says, in Christ, you are fellow citizens. You are being joined together by God to be a dwelling place for the Spirit. He's speaking to them in indicatives. Peter, likewise, he begins his letter in chapter 2, verses 9 through 10, by making indicative statements. In Christ, he says, you are a chosen race. You are a a holy nation. You are a people of God's own possession. Once you were not a people, but now you are. God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Again, this is the good news of Jesus Christ. This morning, if you're in the dark, if sin and suffering has clouded your vision and you can't find your way out, in Christ, God shines his light on you. He welcomes you home. And for Christians, these these beautiful truths that that both Paul and Peter write about in the beginning of their letters is just a blessed reality. These aren't commands that we're called to obey. Uh, they're statements that are already true, and we're just simply called to, to believe them, to rest and to rejoice in them. But notice, of course, that Paul and Peter don't stop there with indicative statements. Again, this is something that your eyes need to be trained for when you read the Bible. It'll save you a lot of time, a lot of trouble. Paul and Peter move from making indicative statements to imperative statements based on those indicatives. So in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 18 through 22, Paul indicates to the gathered Ephesians, you are loved and welcomed by God through Christ alone. But then in Ephesians 5, he gives them a series of imperatives based on those indicatives. So if you look at chapter 5, verses 1 through 14, it reads something like this. You are beloved by God, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. If you look at verse 2 of Ephesians 5, it reads, you gathered Christians, you have been joined together to be a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Therefore, walk in love just as Christ loved us. Peter does the same move. He does the same thing. He moves from indicatives to imperatives. If you look at verse 7 of chapter 4, it reads, you are of a, sorry, chapter, where are we on? Chapter 2, he says, you are a royal priesthood. Therefore, you must live self-controlled and sober lives. That's chapter 4, verse 7. Verse 9 of chapter 4 would read, God has welcomed you. He's made you into his own people. Therefore, you must show hospitality to one another without grumbling. It's vital for us to keep the order straight in our minds. If we put the imperatives before the indicatives we'll treat our obedience as attempts to earn what is being freely offered to us our obedience to the imperatives becomes some sort of like heavenly blackmail okay god if i obey then you must bless and accept me but when the indicatives remain in the first place when they remain the root obedience is seen properly as the fruit that springs from that root or or put much more simply i just wasted all this breath john in first john says it much better we love because he first loved us. So what's happening when we at Christchurch gather in a variety of ways? We're being and we're becoming a community of Jesus' disciples. We're being, so we're just remembering and celebrating and believing the indicatives of the good news. But we're also becoming, we're laboring and committing ourselves to. And sacrificing our time and energy and money into obedience to the imperatives that flow from that good news. Let's look at both of those statements in turn, okay? So first, when we gather, we are being a community of Jesus' disciples. We're, we're being a community of Jesus' disciples. When we gather together here on Sunday morning, when we gather in our home groups this coming week, when we gather in each other's homes, uh, this is just simply being who we are. Uh, We we live in in a modern city. Halifax is filled with huge numbers of people living and working and playing in close proximity to each other. Not a lot of space when you're in the city. Yet studies have just over and over again shown that large cities are some of the most loneliest and most isolating places on earth. The most unfriendly places you can be. Cities boast a huge variety of different kinds of people from different regions and different races, social and socioeconomic backgrounds, the huge variety of professions and passions just kind of all huddled together in close proximity, yet large cities are home to fierce competition, rivalry, envy, racial hatred. People tend to come to gather in cities and they hope to find friendship and community, but often they just become another person who are alone in the presence of lots of people, isolated, angry, lonely. But when the church gathers, something different is supposed to be happening. Not just a gathering of isolated people living their own lives, but something else entirely In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul uses this household imagery. He points out that through Christ, through faith in Christ, we are no longer strangers and aliens from each other. We're no longer individuals merely, but we are being joined together into the one people of God, into one spiritual temple where God himself can reside. Peter calls us a holy nation. That is, he calls us to be different distinct from the world and people around us. That's what holiness means, to be distinct and separate. So when we gather together for worship or in our home groups, we're just celebrating and we're we're reminding each other of this reality, who we are as we're gathering. When we gather for worship, you'll notice in our songs or in our preaching over and over again, we're just trying to, to, to learn, to relearn, to remember what's true, who we are in Christ. At the Lord's table. This is what we do week in, week out. We experience together the reality of Christ's body and blood shed for us. We praise the King who bore our sin, who took our place when we stood condemned. We're not asked to earn this. We're just called to rest and to receive it. That's who disciples of Jesus are. That's what the community of Jesus does. When we gather, we're being a community of Jesus' disciples just enjoying it, just resting, just celebrating it, just reminding each other of this reality. But that's not it. There's more. We gather not only to be who we are, but also to become who we are. This is the second part. When we gather, we're becoming a community of Jesus' disciples. When we gather, we're not only being a a community of disciples, we are becoming that. Before the Ten Commandments were given by uh, God to his people in Exodus chapter twenty. God begins by telling them who they are. You are my rescued people. Uh, in, in God's powerful mercy, he saves them from slavery in the land of Egypt for himself. But now what? They're this massive group of people in the middle of the desert. They have no identity. They don't know who they are or what they're supposed to do. They are told they're God's rescued people, but they have no good habits. They have no spiritual practices. They actually have no clue how non-slaves are supposed to react, how they're supposed to live. They're wondering, how do rescued people live? So God in his kindness gives this people the Ten Commandments, ten words for them to live by. God tells them, you are my people. I have done this for you. It's not something that you can earn or improve upon or deserve in any way. But these Ten Commandments that now I give you, they will teach you how to act as my people. And God continues to do this, down to this very day, to gather and to rescue people uh, to himself, setting them free from slavery to sin. But then what? How do rescue people live? How do they live with each other? Sometimes Christians think, whether it's just it's caught or it's taught, <clears throat> that all we need to do is attend church on Sunday. All that's required of us to be Christians is to sit around other Christians once a week for an hour and a half, and maybe through spiritual osmosis, you know, we'll, we'll grow in godliness, But just getting together with a big group of people does not ensure that you are becoming a community of disciples or followers of Jesus. Gathering on its own isn't a virtue. You can go to a Mooseheads game, you can go to the beach, you can come to church even, and it can just be a crowd. If you listen to my sermon from last week, here's a little apologetic, uh, you'll never think that I think in any way that I want to minimize the importance of weekly, public, visible gatherings of God's people for worship. It's a vital importance to your faith and maturity, but that's not it. If you come to church and nothing's required of you, nothing's asked of you, uh, if you can just come and go as you please without being noticed, guess what? You're in a crowd. You're not in a community. Becoming a community of Jesus' disciples requires more of you, requires more of us than just mere attendance. This is the move then. Again, we've seen it in both Paul and Peter. They move from telling us who we are in Christ to who we are to become when we gather. Uh, Christian communities, again, like our home groups, um, various friendships and gatherings that we have going on. These are the venues where we can learn to live like rescued people, where we have the opportunity to help each other, uh, to practice and to obey the imperatives that we read about in the Bible. The imperatives, really, they function to flesh out the indicatives. They teach us how to become who we are. So we're told in the indicatives, in Ephesians chapter 2, In Christ, you've been joined together by God to be a place where he himself can reside. So then Paul writes in Ephesians 5, okay, this is how you live like it. This is how you act that way. Here are some imperatives. Walk in love toward one another. Put off sexually immoral practices. Treat your body and other people's body properly. Don't be filthy. Don't be crude in your speech. Use your speech instead together to give thanks. As you live this way, God's people are becoming the temple of God's spirit, just as God made us to be. Again, we're told uh, in the indicatives of 1 Peter 2, Christ has come, he's made us new, we're a new kind of community, so Peter says, live like it. In chapter 4, verses 7 through 10, he gives us more imperatives. Love one another, show hospitality to one another, stop grumbling, serve one another. As you live this way, you're together becoming who you are. God's own people, a holy nation. Notice this. This is very important for you to see. To obey the imperatives, to do what's required of you, it requires other people. You cannot become who you were made to be alone. It's impossible. So intentionally gathering together often to give and to receive care, to obey God's commandments. It's not just, you know, bonus extracurricular activities for the deeply spiritual among us, uh, but... No, it's, it's the norm for anyone who wants to be a disciple of Jesus. Uh, Tim Keller, he puts it uh, provocatively. He writes, um, apart from community, you cannot know God deeply, change personally, or witness effect- effectively. Apart from community, apart from other people around you, you cannot know God deeply, change personally, or witness effectively. I think that's worth just reflecting on kind of each of those in turn. He says you can't know God deeply. You can't know him deeply apart from community. Uh, reading the Bible, studying theology, listening to good sermons, uh, or, on the one hand, or going out into nature and having, you know, spiritual experiences. These are, these are two ways that people, I think, in, in the modern church believe that they can know God most deeply. I've, I've had people tell me, you know what, I, I get way more out of going on a hike, going to the beach than I do when I go to church. And these are actually two great things that you, you should and you ought to do. You should ought to regularly uh, read deeply, think deeply about the scriptures, chew on some good theology. You ought to be out in God's nature to, to enjoy and to study his artistry and his beauty. But look, God is very clear. He is not most present and known in the Bible or in nature on their own. The place where Jesus is most localized and present today is in his body. It is in the church. Where does Paul say, God is dwelling today? Look at Ephesians 2, verses 22. Where is he? In and among his people. Not alone in your room or out in nature, but in his spiritual temple that he is filling with his own presence, that he's making as God's people are gathered. So if you feel lonely and disconnected, if you're wondering if God cares, that is certainly a reason for you to begin to pray and to commune with God personally, but it's also a call, it's a challenge to dive deeply into Christian community. Christ has a body that is physically with us today. He is dwelling among us. To know God deeply then requires that we join ourselves to a spirit-filled community. The second thing, you can't change personally apart from community. All of the virtues that we're called to put on, all the vices we're called to put off in the Bible are largely communal. So positively, I can't show love or hospitality unless there's people around me that I can show love and hospitality to. Negatively, and more challengingly, I can't resist and fight sin without people around me. Uh, Maybe you've had this thought, which I've had many times, I would be an incredibly patient person if it weren't for all these people around me driving me nuts. I would just be the most patient person you've ever met if you would just leave me alone. My patience would blow your mind. But the reality is, you can't become a patient person unless you're around the kind of people (laughs) that demand your patience. You will never become the forgiving person that God has made you to be unless you're around the kind of people you'll need to forgive. You'll never become a generous person unless you're around the kind of people that need your time and your energy and your money. Rock tumblers, they smooth out rough rocks by banging them up against each other for weeks at a time. A rough rock on the shelf on its own will keep all its sharp edges. But when it's rolled and agitated alongside other rough rocks, it, they become smooth and they become smooth together. And in a similar way, God in his wisdom uses sinners in difficult situations to smooth and mature you. And you cannot be Changed apart from that kind of community. The third is you can't witness effectively apart from community. You can't witness to this world around you effectively apart from community. And we'll end here. Maybe you've been in the church for a long time and you're like, I don't really recognize this community you're describing uh, of welcome and love, of patience and forgiveness and generosity. I, I don't see that. Actually, I've been burned and hurt in the church. I've been disappointed. I've been left out. Uh, I've, been, I've been deeply hurt through a community like this. And I'm sorry. I, it's, a, it's a brutal fact for many people. It's not the way things are supposed to be. Jesus said the quality of the love and welcome of his community of disciples would be an incredibly powerful witness of, of God's transforming love that would draw the world to him. The local church being and becoming what we're called to be is actually God's mission strategy for a watching world. John writes, Jesus speaking to his disciples in John 13, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. One of the most attractive and powerful things about the church is the love we show for one another. For a city like ours... It's filled with people, yet people are left isolated, angry, and lonely. The church of Jesus Christ is a shining city on a hill, the center of God's life-altering, destiny-changing love and welcome. And so this is my charge to you at Christchurch, to you who are visiting. We are to become the community we're called to be, the kind of community that so many in our city desperately long for. God is making an entirely new people through Christ, an entirely different city, a new kind of kingdom, a new way of relating to God and people. Will the people in Halifax see this in Christchurch Halifax? Will he see it in your lives, in your gatherings? Will you give your life and your energy and your time and your prayers to this? Will you believe that God has rescued you for this very purpose? We can't witness effectively in Halifax bring the gospel to those who most need it apart from this community. So what's happening when we gather? It's this. We're being and we're becoming the community of Jesus' disciples so that through it, Christ himself can extend his welcome into Halifax. Now may you continue to gather with other Christians regularly, living, working, playing, and praying to be and to become the community of Jesus' disciples. May you together celebrate and embody the indicatives of Scripture, resting and rejoicing in all that Christ has done for you. May you commit yourselves to and labor at the imperatives of the Scriptures to become who you are in Christ. And may Christ Church, gathered and growing together, know God deeply, change personally, and witness effectively in this city that God loves. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that though we are far away, you came close. That Though we distance ourselves from you, you came for us. God, we rejoice at that. And and as people who were lost and are now found, we ask that you'd help us to live different kinds of life by the power of your spirit. Lord, we pray for this city that you've put us in. Our neighbors, our coworkers, who are far away from you, would you fill us with this kind of love? Would you help us to walk in obedience, not to, not to earn or to deserve your love, but because of it? So Lord, bless your people. Help us now. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.